Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the no-fluff, actionable marketing podcast for people sick of marketing bullshit. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. After four years, 175 episodes recorded, 9,625 minutes of no-bullshit content published, and 1 million plus downloads reached, I felt it was time to shake things up a bit. You see, I want to help you radically stand out because I firmly believe it's the only way for you to succeed without marketing bullshit. So moving forward, each episode is going to be around 20 minutes long. Each episode is going to be super practical where I'm going to teach you one way to radically stand out that you can apply to your business today. I'm going to use snippets of past interviews, the lessons I've learned from my own experience and plenty of concrete examples. Oh, and one last thing. I'm also turning each of those episodes into the only newsletter focusing on differentiation and positioning so you can read at your own pace and remember the concept I'm teaching. If it's of interest, I hope you'll sign up today on everyonehatesmarketers.com. I'll also notify you when I launch new stuff and products and you can win rewards for referring other mavericks to the newsletter, like branded cups and t-shirts and posters and private group coaching and plenty of other nice little surprises. All right, on to the podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to beg you, literally beg you to not create or try to create a new category. I'm going to give you hopefully very compelling reasons why you should not. I'm going to give you an alternative, a much better way to stand out that doesn't require creating a new category from scratch. I'm gonna quote and feature a few past guests, including April Dunford, and a step-by-step process for you to follow, as well as concrete examples that are not tech company examples. You've read Blue Ocean Strategy, the 22 immutable laws of marketing, differentiate or die, play bigger. You listen to all of the episodes on the podcast you can find about category creation, category design. You follow the success stories of tech startups like Drift and HubSpot or even Google that created you know, new categories with success and you want to do the same. Uh, you want to start your own company or you may be the CMO of, a, of an existing company or you want to launch a new product and who doesn't want to live in a world where your product is the only product in a specific category that you've just created where you're the de facto leader where you're leading the charge where you inspire everyone where you have no competition where you're living in this blue ocean with no sharks around you there's no direct competitors you know, you can sell your product without any uh, worries like that. Who doesn't want to live in that world, especially when we are marketers, founders, entrepreneurs? Creating a new category is definitely the best way to stand out. You can grow like crazy, whether like you're a big business or wannabe consultant or freelancer. It's absolutely the way to go. You come up with your own category. Everyone flocks to you because they love you. They buy your product, no competition, boom, right? I mean, it's the way to go, right? right? No, it's not. Please, I beg you, don't do it. Don't try to create a new category. I'm going to give you five reasons why you should not. And then you take your decision after that. So first reason, most category creation case studies are not category creation case studies. 
Most of the time, what's happening when you hear stories from companies who quote unquote created or designed a new category, they've created a subcategory for a niche market, but they have not created something from scratch. In other words, to use the vocabulary of the Blue Ocean uh, book, they've sailed to the edge of the red ocean full of sharks, but they have not left it. And that's a small distinction, but it's incredibly important. Let me give you a quick example. The authors of Blue Ocean Strategy give this example of the air fry maker that was developed by the French uh, company called Seb. Great invention. Uh, it's not using as much oil as, as other uh, fry makers. It's using 40% less uh, calories and 80% less fat. But here is the thing. It's still very much a fry maker. It's not a new category. It's a subcategory. Everyone knows what a fry maker is. So you don't need to educate the market about what a fry maker is. So they lean on that to then have a subcategory that uses less oil, still using oil, by the way, but using less of it. And so you can see the tiny little difference here. Most of the time when you hear category creation cases, be very careful. Most of the time, they are not creating something brand new where you have to educate the market from scratch, where people have no idea what this category is and you have to educate about what it is exactly. No, they are leaning against an existing category and they are going, they are playing inside that box, right? They are playing inside that category definition, inside what people expect of it. And so it's very, it's much easier then to create something. So that's the first reason. Most of the time, they are creating a subcategory for a niche market. For example, for the air fry maker, that would probably be folks who are really into uh, their health, who want to lose weight. You can identify a niche market that really would beg to use uh, that product. The second reason is because most case studies that you read on all of those books and, and you've listened to on all of those podcast episodes and on all of that, most of them are a classic case of survivorship bias. All business books share examples of winners without ever mentioning companies that tried and failed that exact strategy. You're in a bubble, whether you like it or not, we all hear the same stories and that makes it extremely difficult to know whether or not this quote-unquote strategy actually works. But I can tell you, looking around, it's incredibly rare to find an actual business that I've pulled this kind of move of actually creating a category from scratch, not a subcategory of something that exists already, not playing inside that box and changing a few things and improving a few things. No, creating something from scratch. Very difficult to find that many who've done it exactly by creating a new category. So that's the second reason. Third reason. It requires more time, more influence, more resources than you probably think. And here is April Dunford, positioning consultant and author of Obviously Awesome on the podcast. And this is what she has to say. What we're doing is so amazing. It's so wild. It's so out there. It's so revolutionary. It doesn't fit in a bucket anywhere. So I got to create my new market to do it. This is actually the most difficult style where... You first have to prove to people that your market deserves to exist. And then you got to position yourself in that market as the best choice as a solution in that market. Again, it takes money, time, effort. The reward is great because you define the market to be perfect for your solution. So if you convince me it exists, you got a good shot of being the leader of it. 
but but it's hard. And generally, this is only big companies are good at this. A venture back startup with deep pockets, with very mature, patient investors are the only ones that can actually pull that off. So that's because category creation attempts the more difficult thing, right? Changing people's minds and habits. This is probably the toughest challenge of marketers, of change makers, of creators, of entrepreneurs, changing people's mind, changing people's habits. So there's a study actually mentioned in Play Bigger that says that it takes on average six to 10 years for a category to be effectively created. And therefore companies have created them to go public and therefore crossing the chasm from early adopters to the early majority. So you might wonder, okay, that's all well and good, but with the internet and the fact that things you know, move so quickly now and it's much easier to reach people, that must go uh, faster now. Like you can create a category and within a year, boom, you have a new market and you can nail it. No, the reason why it's a no is because humans are humans. It still very much take the same time on average because any new product, any new category follows the same adoption curve, right? This curve that you've seen everywhere where you have first the innovators followed by the early adopters, the early majority, late majority and laggers. That's because for things to spread, you still need humans to humans relationship and contacts. You still need a friend to discover it, talk about it. You still need early adopters to take a leap of faith and start using it. You still need that process to happen for it to, to be ingrained in people's mind. And when you create something from scratch, and again, when you're not creating a subcategory here, when you create a brand new category, you have to create new ideas in people's brain. You have to change their mind, teach them something new, and it takes an awful long time, much longer than you probably think originally. So word of mouth still needs to happen. You still need to convince early adopters who seek the new solutions to problems to try it. You then need early majorities people to be influenced by those early adopters and to see what they have to do, what they are doing to be influenced and, and to start buying because they are, they are not going to trust a brand new company, right? So you can see that enormous patience is required and deep, deep, deep pockets, deep influence to make it happen. This is because it takes such a long time such a, a lot of repetition and such a huge budget, even in a small market, to make that happen. So to give you a quick example of Drift, uh, Drift has been mentioned everywhere about category creation. Just to illustrate uh, this case study, they have deeper pockets and deeper influence that you might imagine. They've raised more than $100 million and their founder, David Cancel, is a seasoned founder who have major influence in the tech world, who is ex-HubSpot, who've created multiple startups before. This is not your typical founder. Uh, this is not your typical round of funding. This is the illustration of how much time, how much influence, resources you need to pull off a move like this one. And so Drift nailed the conversational uh, marketing category. But again, thinking back, try to think about actual companies who managed to create something from scratch, a category that they could educate at the market and creating uh, something uh, new. The fourth reason is it's selfish as fuck. So you as a marketer, change maker, CEO, entrepreneur, you don't get to decide whether you're creating a new category. It's not up to you to say, a new category happens as a result of your obsession for a specific market, solving a specific problem that is probably new, that has happened 
because of a change in scenery, you know, a change in behavior and new laws and politics and environmental changes and technology. It's up to the market to create it based on the painful problem they are facing. So, for example, to take an, an example of a company that has allegedly um, created a new category, HubSpot, right? I've interviewed uh, Megan Kinney Anderson on the podcast who's ex-VP of marketing for HubSpot. And this is what she has to say about whether or not they created a new category deliberately. Yeah, let me be clear. I do not think that you have to create a category. I think that you have to name the enemy. And so inbound marketing became a category, but with or without that category, we still needed to name outbound and irrelevant ads as the enemy. So it's more about, you need every sales rep to be able to say, we're the anti-chaos at work or we're the anti-form. That's what's important to name is what you're fighting against, not the category that you're in. Certainly category creation is a strategy that people do. It's not always easy, right? It depends on the field you're in. There could already be, like sometimes fighting against the, the terms that people use is not the right approach. Why add more work so that you have to explain the category before you can explain the product? Inbound kind of evolved of a, as a category in its own right because we did a really good job nailing the enemy, but we didn't go out there saying we have to create a category here. I understand you. We all have this kind of deep need to be unique and to make a dent. If we're a CMO of a new startup, we want to, you know, make sure that we nail it and we reach our, our objectives. And if we are a founder, we want to make sure that our product just takes off and all of that. But we must put our ego aside. And this is why I said it's selfish as fuck. We must put our ego aside and obsess over a small group of people for long enough that the category creation will happen because of that work and not because you've decided to create a new category. By obsessing over a group of people, making sure you solve that problem, trying words and, and communicating with them for years and years and years, people, your market will pick up on certain words or will pick up on certain things and the category will be created thanks to that work. But you don't start by saying we're going to create a new category and then expect it to happen. Um, it's the other way around. You, it happens as a product of your obsession with the market, you creating a product or service that actually solved that problem. And then, and then, yeah, maybe it is a new category after all. The last reason why you should not, I beg you, create a new category is because your product, the service you're selling is probably not as different as you think. Uh, Youngmi Moon, the author of Different, which is an excellent book on the, on the topic of differentiation, calls people who know so much about a product category connoisseurs, right? They're using French terms, obviously, for that. By you being part of that uh, marketing team or founders team or you being a founder, you know already too much about your category and product to be objective. You know every single little feature, every single little benefit, every other competitors and direct competitors, exactly what they do. And so if you really think that you can pull a category creation move because you have a feature that is slightly different, think again, right? We need to really stay on truth here. We need to be very honest with ourselves. Is it actually a brand new service or product that is not a subcategory, but a brand new category? Is it something that doesn't exist, that actually solving a new problem that is arising where a small group of people can't wait for that problem to be solved? If so, yes, it's probably a, a category move. But if your product is slightly different and you just decide based on the your knowledge of the category is very, very subtle. 
that this is a new uh, category, I, I would I would beg to differ. And I would really challenge you to think about, you know, maybe there's something else uh, to do here. Those were the five reasons. And to summarize, if you have very, very deep pockets, if you have investors who are uh, very patient with you, who are willing to stay six to 10 years with you to make it happen, if you have therefore the patience of a saint, uh, if you have massive influence, if you know everyone in, in your market, if you know all the journalists and all the so-called influencers and, and all founders you can partner up with, if you have a team of seasoned professionals, you know, who know everything about that category, who, who've, who've created new categories before, who've been part of that move before, and if your product is really, 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 really different from other alternatives, then yes, maybe category creation is for you, for sure. But but if that checklist, that list, you know, doesn't fit you, then, then there's something else to do. So there is a much more common, much easier way to stand out, to reach your goals, to still stay in somewhat of this kind of red ocean, but go into the corner of that ocean so that you can have a market that you can quote unquote own. And this is what April Dunford has to say about that. Yeah, like, and people are scared to do the niche thing because they think it's so small. They're like, oh my God, I'm supposed to be a billion dollar business here. How am I going to be a billion dollar business? I'm only selling investment banks. That sounds bad. And the reality is, look, you're only selling investment banks right now. But once you get investment banks, then you're going to go get insurance companies. And once you get insurance companies, then you're going to go get retail banks. And then once you get retail banks, and you're eventually going to get the whole thing. This is... uh Jeffrey Moore's crossing the chasm bowling pin strategy, right? You knock over the lead pin and then there's all these adjacent pins that you can now knock over because now you got credibility and traction in the market. And that's how every big company starts practically is where they say, well, you know, we're just going to get this one thing. And then when we're bigger and we have more force behind us, now we can take on a leader in something bigger. But when you're just little, you just need to survive. It, like most of the startups I work with, I'll say, they'll say, no, that'll be too small. And I'll say, well, how many deals do you need to do this year? 10? Like, you know, let's just make a list of 100 companies we go after, just do 10 deals. Don't worry about where you're going to be 10 years from now. Let's just survive this year. <laughs> I wish. And nail our number this year. And then we can, we can expand it out later. Yeah. It's not like we're saying, oh, this is our positioning for all time. This is our positioning for the next six months, dude. And we're going to run it that hard. And then we're going to look at it six months from now and say, you know what? That's too small for us now because we're so cool. And we'll broaden it out. So don't worry. You're still going to be able to make money, right? There's this fear of you're going niche and therefore, oh my God, the market is going to be way too small for us to make money. No, you follow a path that follows basic human psychology. You're using that existing category and the expectations that come with that category to your advantage, because then you can have fun within that category instead of trying to create something new and therefore new expectations and, your, and new all of that. So creating a niche market is and going niche is really what also follows human psychology when it comes to word of mouth and this adoption curve, right? You start small with a small market, you nail that market, you make sure that you are the de facto kind of leader in that small market for this specific category. And then you can expand. That's what in the book, Crossing the Chasm, that's what they, they talk about, uh, you know, the bowling pin uh, strategy. So in three steps, choose a market that can't wait for you to solve that specific problem. So there's a few questions to ask yourself here when you pick a market. Who stays awake at night staring at the ceiling because they really want to solve the problem and the pain that you solve? 
who wants to reach that goal the most, who really is desperate to move, to cross that bridge, to go to the other side, who loves you the most, who really digs your, your culture and your product, uh, who's a big fan of yours, who hates the things you hate, who has the money to pay, incredibly important here, you can pick a market where there's no money, who has actually money to pay uh, right now for that solution, and who do you have access to? Incredible, incredibly important question as well, especially if you're starting as a new founder and whatnot. By, by asking yourself those questions and answering them and being on truth again, like yeah, drinking this, this serum of truth, who, what market, what minimum viable market, to use the, the word of uh, the definition of Seth Godin, what minimum viable market can you pick where you can become the de facto leader, where you can solve a problem that is very latent and that, that people can't wait for you to solve? And then you can move on to something bigger and bigger. So if you're really anxious about making sure that market is big enough for you to sustain yourself, which is ultimately what you want to do, is just calculate your market size, approximate the number of people, the number of companies who fit the description that you, that you seek, make it smaller and smaller, and see whether that can sustain you revenue-wise when you have a certain you know, penetration. So market size is like the, your penetration rate of the market, so how many people you can reach in that market, the number of companies or people who, who fit uh, that and the revenue you can have for each. And that gives you an approximation of how much uh, you can make with just that small market. And then again, you can expand. Step two, forget about you, forget about your needs and obsess over that market. In the world of Seth Godin, be a castle so high that everyone else says, whoa, this is way too fucking high for me to even try to uh, to replicate right N like just focus on one thing and doing so well that you become just the, the de facto leader in that small subcategory and some small market and then the step three is that the intersection of the category you're in the small the minimum viable market that you seek to serve and the value you provide meaning the problem that you solve and, and the goals that you help them reach that's what makes you radically different and unique it's the intersection of the three, the intersection of category, market, and value. This is when you can have something that is definitely different because you have a category that already exists, a very specific market that you are the best answer to, and very specific value that you bring them that, uh, that enables them to reach their goal. And so this is what you need to get started. And this is why it's extremely rare that category creation and category design is for you. Let me give you three quick examples that have nothing to do with tech so that you understand what it means to, to actually use a category that already exists and play within it. This is a French example from a political party called La République En Marche, which is actually the party that, created, that was created by Emmanuel Macron a few years ago, who's now, at the time of this recording, the president of France. So he didn't go ahead and say, we're not going to be a political party. We're going to create a new definition for it. Uh, no, he used what is expected of a political party, meaning you have like, you know, you play within the rules, you call yourself a political party, but it challenged a few norms inside it. And this is the beauty of it. It challenged a few norms inside it. So for example, yeah, to avoid politicians who, who have way too many jobs at the same time, he made sure that people who joined that party were not, uh, didn't have multiple uh, jobs, like, you know, being a mayor of a town and then being a deputy and then being a minister in charge of something, for example. He also made sure that 
he would rise above the left versus right rhetoric and conservative versus versus liberal rhetoric and saying this is not a political party that is taking a side it's a political party for everyone who's sick of that actual situation and so his message was much very different from the rest but yet he was still a political party he played inside the category and therefore the market that he really went after were people who were disenfranchised with the current political situation in France. Uh, something else that he did, for example, was to do a massive survey of French people all over all over France to have to do a diagnosis of the situation and to really listen to what's going on. Now, to be clear, I'm not uh, trying to be political here. I just want to give you an example completely outside of tech because there's a lot of examples and case studies around tech and category creation. Just to give you examples of playing inside that box and still having a lot of fun, being very successful because again he went ahead and became the French president. Second example is Pepsodent. Gave that example in the episode just before this one, where they were still selling uh, toothpaste, but instead of selling it inside a big jar, they sold it inside a tube. So people still knew what it was, but they challenged the norm inside it. The other thing that they do is they added mint fresh sensation. They made it easier to put it on your toothbrush and voila, they did not create a brand new category where they had to educate everyone about what is even a toothpaste. They challenged the norm inside that category, created a subcategory and became the de facto leader, uh, in fact, becoming a market leader with, uh, for 30 years after that. And finally, we just want to give you an example of this bowling pin strategy or starting small with a market that you can really own and then move up. Uh, Nintendo actually started selling playing cards in 1889, so more than a century ago. Okay, so they sold that, they, they grew like that in Japan, and then they started to look at video games console. So when they were looking at launching the Nintendo Entertainment System, the NES, the very first video game system that they were selling, they wanted to launch in the US because it was very successful in Japan, but in the US, you know, they had to launch. And they didn't do a massive national launch because they were unknown in, it, in, in the US. So again, it's very much like the situation I told you about. And they tested the market in New York City first. And they wanted to know whether the sales number would be good enough to start uh, creating national campaigns. And they tested in New York City. And it actually wasn't a massive hit, but they got enough sales to, to move ahead. So if Nintendo does it uh, this way, it's probably a good reason to do it. So let me give you a quick summary of what I told you there. So please, I beg you, don't create a category, okay? Most of the time, it's much easier to go niche, right? And yes, you have a lot of case studies around there, but beware of survivorship bias. New category creation move uh, requires more resources that you can ever imagine. More patience, more time, more resources, more influence. It's also a very selfish endeavor where we decide because we want the success, we're going to create a new category. But in fact, it's up to the market to decide. And then finally... Your product or service is likely not to be as different as you think, and it fits more the profile of a subcategory or just playing inside of a category. So go niche, obsess over a market, one market at a time, master it, and then yes, you can move on. Don't worry, you can make enough money with just doing this. And the intersection of the category you pick, the market you pick, and what you do for them, the value you provide is where it's at. That's what's gonna make you different. And yes, you can be the only category for that market that does this. This is kind of the three elements that create this, this beautiful thing that is differentiation. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. 
I'm pouring my heart and soul into this. Uh, it will mean a lot to me if you check out the newsletter that goes with this podcast at everyonehatesmarketers.com. I send this newsletter every Tuesday. It's packed with very practical, step-by-step, actionable ways for you to radically stand out. And when you sign up, you also get access to a free eight-lesson course on the same topic. All right, see you on the other side. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.